Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. I'm so glad that you are here. Can I just love on you for just a second as we start this podcast? I so appreciate you being here, and I think it's really amazing that you are a social worker or you're learning more about the field of social work because this field is specifically for you if you want to help people. And there are not a whole lot of people in the world who go into a profession for the sole reason to help people. There's a handful, but for the most part, a lot of people are not that heart-centered and not that mission-driven as you are. And with that, it comes a lot of strengths, a lot of empathy. It comes with generally a lot of life experiences. You probably have been through some shit that made you who you are, made you a better person, hopefully, in time, and also is going to help you relate to your clients and your future clients. And it makes you just, you know, a good person, right? Someone who's able to read the room, read other people's feelings and emotions, and kind of go on there. You're constantly assessing. You're constantly seeing how people are responding to you and the questions that you ask, your tone, your voice, All of these different things go into being an amazing social worker. And part of that is what I want to talk about today is how do you, in fact, become a licensed clinical social worker in the United States? And we're going to dive into that in a couple of minutes. But first, I just wanted to kind of vibe with you and chill for a little bit and let you know what I have been up to here behind the scenes at the Social Workers Rise podcast. First, if you don't know who I am, I am Catherine Moore. I'm the host of the Social Workers Rise podcast. I am a mental health speaker expert. I do teletherapy and I do speaking engagements. We have some coming up that I will also mention. And my overall goal right now is to try to be balanced and try to really be aware of how I'm feeling, how I'm showing up in different spaces, and how I can be the best person that I can. And that is not always easy, but it's always a work in progress. The other thing that I have created is the RISE directory. So this came from a place when I was finally qualified to offer clinical supervision services to social workers, something that I've always wanted to do. And so I got to thinking, you know, if I go through all this training and and coursework and time and energy, you know, where do I go that people will know about me? Because I'm not necessarily going to be connected with an agency. It's just me by myself. And I realized that there was really no hub, if you will, for clinical supervision. There's nowhere that 
is all encompassing and gives you training and a place to market your services. And I thought this was a major disservice to clinical supervisors because these are the leaders in our field. These are the people who are sticking it out, who are reaching their hand back to the next generation and saying, hey, I got you. I got you. Let me show you what I know. Let's learn more together, right? So out of this need of service, I realized this has to happen. There has to be some sort of hub for clinical supervisors to learn, to connect, to market their services. So that is what I created. And it has shown up as the Rise Directory, which I just relaunched on a brand new platform this week. Well, last week, because we're going to be hearing this episode. So on October 12th, 2023, we transitioned to a new platform. And I'm so excited for this because this is going to give clinical supervisors a way to just market their services, to connect with each other, to know where they can access clinical consultation, where we can get CEUs around supervision services, where we can connect with other supervisors. Because Sometimes we go on vacation. Sometimes we might get sick. Sometimes we need to step away and we need to know where to find our community of people who can step in and help us out. So that's exactly what we did with the Rise Directory. If you need a clinical supervisor, please go there and check it out. It is amazing. You can browse for free. So what else? So also too exciting. October is my birthday month. So I just love everything about October. Um, this month I plan to indulge in some really tasty food. I really want to go apple picking. I'm here in Southern California. So we do have like one place, actually not very many, one place that we can go for apple picking that is within an hour or two of where I'm at. Um, also too, I do like to go to scary events and haunted houses. So that is where I will be going. And I like watching suspense movies. So I have been tuning into all of the drama and the thrillers and the suspense scary movies. And I have been enjoying that in my free time. So what's up next? Also too, the Social Work Wealth Conference is going to be this month on October 19th and 20th. I will be presenting a masterclass on utilizing podcasts for social impact and entrepreneurs. So if you are able to make it, this conference is going to be virtual and it's going to be full of so many amazing leaders in our industry talking about how we build wealth as social workers. Like, how do we manage our money? These are things that we likely have never been taught and they're a little intimidating and scary, but that is why this conference exists to have these conversations, to learn more, to really be able to change our mindsets around how do we go from being broke to feeling prosperous. And just a side note, the gardeners started showing up as I recorded my podcast uh, so if there is background noise, I apologize, but you know, bear with me. They're doing their jobs. I'm thankful for our landscapers. And what else? Next, or let me see, this week when this episode comes out, right before my birthday, I will be going to the NASW California conference that's going to be in Burbank this year. 
I am so excited because I'm really just excited to show up in a room full of social workers. It is like nothing else to be surrounded by your people. They get you. They are able to do the jargon, do the lingo. They know exactly what you're talking about. You don't have to explain yourself. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to networking and just getting to know some amazing people. So that is kind of what I've been up to these past couple weeks or so. And this podcast episode, we don't have a guest, but I kind of like that because it means that you and I can just kind of hang out and have a little conversation, you know, kick our shoes off, get in our sweatpants, and we don't have to be so formal. I love my guests, but there's just something more comfortable about doing my podcast with just you and I, which is great. So let's hop into this. There are a couple couple different reasons why people want to get their LCSW. And when we talk about how to become an LCSW, I want to first start out with, you really need to know why. Why the heck do you want to do this? Why the heck do you want to put in thousands of hours and invest your money, invest your time, invest your energy to get this license? You need to be crystal clear, my friend, because this why is going to be what sustains you when it gets hard, right? When you're thinking, I just need to quit. This is not working. This is not worth it. What is happening? And that is all normal. It means you're on the right path. But you really need to know why you're doing this. And a lot of times people choose to pursue licensure because it does open a lot of doors. It gives you a lot more opportunity within the field of social work in your career. And to be honest, it does come with a certain level of prestige to have those letters behind your name. It shows people within the field that you know your stuff. You know what you're talking about. It doesn't mean that people are good social workers, but that's just where we are right now. It does come with a certain level of prestige. And also too, with that, you don't have to have your license to make more money. You can get creative in a lot of ways. And I just did a podcast with Christina a couple podcasts ago on uh, three three jobs or three careers that you can start right now without your license that aren't private practice. So definitely check that out for some ideas. Additionally, in episode 94, I talk about the pros and cons of licensure so you can really know, you know, is this for you, right? So a lot of times when you ask people, it's for more opportunity within the field. If that is you, that is great. That is exactly why I got my license because I had never really envisioned myself as a clinical social worker, as a therapist. I was always very macro-minded. However, my supervisor talked to me and she said, you might as well just start the process and go through it because a lot of times you do need a license to be in leadership positions to supervise people. So if that's ever something that you want to do, then having your license is going to be necessary. And I'm very glad that I did this. And she was very much right because a lot of times if you do want to move up in companies and supervise social workers at any point in time, your license goes a really, really long way in helping you do that. So 
generally speaking, the process for getting your license is one, it's going to be different in each state. And I'm in California, but I'm really gearing this conversation to in general, if you want to get your license in the United States, this is generally what you're going to do. One, you have to have a master's degree from an accredited school of social work. Two, you're going to apply for your clinical licensing exam after you've learned your hours. Next, you're going to pass the clinical exam, which is a whole other thing. Pass the clinical exam, and then you're going to then apply for your licensure and LCSW and take continuing education. All of this takes time and money, so just be prepared. This is going to be a major investment. So first, let's kind of break down all of these steps, right? Because while they sound simple on the surface, there's a lot of nuances and things that you need to be aware of when we're talking about this whole process. So number one, having your master's degree, right? So when they say an accredited, accredited school of social work, they're really talking about you have to have a degree from a school that is accredited by the Commission on Accreditation of the Council of Social Work Education. So if your program is not accredited by the Council on Social Work Education, you have a problem because that means that your social work degree is not going to count towards this whole process. So make sure that you're verifying that your social work master's degree is in fact accredited at your school. And most major universities are. It is just good to double check that, right? Additionally, after you get your master's degree, depending on your state, you might have additional coursework that you need to do. I know specifically for California, all of the schools that are accredited, they automatically meet all of the extra qualifications that they're asking for. So things like human sexuality, uh, things like domestic violence. So there's some extra specific courses that California asked you to have. You need to check with your state to see the specific requirements that your state has. Additionally, so once you get your master's, you're going to then go on to start you apply for your license or you apply to get your hours. Some states have an LMSW, licensed master social worker. In California, we have an ACSW, associate clinical social worker. So double check with your state on what you need after you get your master's, right? Because after that happens, then you can start acquiring hours towards your degree. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams, 
and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion, containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now, bonus, TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses, including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. So what I mean by acquiring hours, this is the hours that you need to be working underneath another supervisor. So an LCSW supervisor, generally speaking. Sometimes this could be another type of person with their hours. So for example, like a counselor or a marriage and family therapist. Again, this depends on your state. Here in California, you can be supervised by those people for a limited number of hours, right? In other states, you only can be supervised by an LCSW. So it's really important that you know what it is that your state requires of your supervisor. So the amount of hours is also going to vary by state as well. For example, in California, you need 3,000 supervised work hours, and they break this down into different areas that you need to be incorporating in those, such as doing assessments, doing individual face-to-face therapy, doing extra trainings, supervision. How many hours does supervision count, right? On the other hand, so while California requires 3,000, there's other states like Florida that require half the number of hours. So they only require 1,500 work hours. So this really varies across the country. I know that I have seen a state where they require 5,000 supervised hours. So it really is going to depend on where you live as far as how many hours you're going to be planning to invest and how long this process is going to take you. Additionally, it's really important that your supervisor is there and showing up for you because you are going to need a lot of hours of supervision. And again, how many hours ongoing is going to depend on your work and the state that you're in. For example, this can be anywhere from two hours per week to one hour per month, depending on where you live. So there's definitely a lot to unpack there and to look at specifically for your state. Let's talk quickly about what are the responsibilities of you as a supervisee and the responsibilities of your supervisor. Because this is a two-way street, two-way relationship. You both have responsibilities. You both have to bring certain things to the table. First, your supervisor. They are responsible for just ensuring a quality education training that you have the work environment that you need to thrive and to learn. They're going to be monitoring and evaluating your assessments, 
your diagnosis, the treatment plans, and giving you feedback on all of these different areas. They're going to be monitoring and evaluating your ability to provide therapy services at your site and being able to help you grow in that area when working with your clients. They're also going to be monitoring and evaluating all of the different clinical dynamics that are happening, especially countertransference, because we are humans first and it is natural to just bring in our experiences and this can really impact our ability to provide services to some people. For example, if I have a strained relationship with my father and a client comes in and man, he really reminds me of my father and I just cannot stand it. And then this starts to impact how I show up to sessions, the dynamics between us, how I'm working with him or not working with him. All of this really needs to be unpacked because he is not my father. And I would never be providing therapy services to my father because that is just poor boundaries and just a whole slew of mess. So it's really important to be able to unpack different instances like that, which are completely normal and completely valid because we have our own experiences that we're bringing. And that's part of the role of the clinical supervisor to help us be aware of that and to unpack it so that it doesn't impact the client, right? Additionally, your supervisor is there to ensure that you are compliant with the laws and regulations, reporting requirements of child abuse, elder abuse, neglect, all of those fun things. They will be responsible for reviewing your progress notes, your treatment records, making sure that you're in compliance, and really doing a a good job of documenting all of the amazing work that you're doing. And also, too, sometimes. Supervisors may want to directly observe the work that you're doing with clients, and this would require your client to consent to have someone watching your sessions, but that could be another way that they can help you out. And this is just a quick overview. This is not all-encompassing. There's whole books written on clinical supervision, right? But these are really the main ones that the supervisor is responsible for. There may be times that you and your supervisor do not get along or that your work does not provide a clinical supervisor for you or there's just some sort of issue with obtaining clinical supervision even though you are in a clinical role. Remember, you are not always stuck with your clinical supervisor. There are the options to contract with an outside supervisor and you can learn more about this at the RISE directory So the RISE directory is a directory for clinical supervisors. So if you need to hire somebody or if your employer is able to compensate for their time, then definitely go there and find somebody who is in your area, again, like in your state, right? You can do virtual supervision sometimes depending on the laws, right? But check that. You might be able to do virtual And if you are with an employer where you have a clinical role, I would first ask them and request that if they cannot provide clinical supervision through the organization, that they then make it available to compensate someone outside to create a contract or an MOU with an outside clinical supervisor. 
because this is going to be part of you being happy at that role, right? And you staying there and you getting your hours there. Otherwise, you may want to explore different job opportunities where you can get your hours, especially if that is one of your goals for you, right? I don't want you putting your life on hold, your career goals on hold because one employer does not offer supervision. There are ways around it. So that is your supervisor's responsibility. You as a supervisee also have certain responsibilities that you need to be aware of when you're showing up to work and to supervision, right? So before you even start, it's a good idea to verify your supervisor's license status, just verifying that they do meet the qualifications in your state and that their status is active and there's nothing, um, no complaints or anything against it. And if and make sure that they're able to provide clinical supervision and sign off on your hours, right? Make sure that they are signing off on your hours on a regular basis. I've heard so many stories where supervisees never got their their supervisor to sign off on any kind of hours. And again, this is going to be state by state, right? Sometimes it does sometimes states do want your supervisor to sign off that you have completed your hours for that week or month or whatever it is, but then other states may not have that requirement. I would say it always is a good idea to get verification of your experience and of the meetings that you have, even if it's not required just for your own records, right? But make sure that they're signing off on a regular basis because I've heard stories where supervisees did not do this. And then it came time to turn in their thousands of hours and they say, well, I can't find my old supervisor. They fell off the face of the earth or they died or I can't get in contact with them. They're not responding to me. And they're kind of SOL for those hours. Like they don't count if you don't have the signature on there. So definitely, definitely have this as a regular routine for you and your supervisor. You want to keep copies of all the documents that you are creating relating to your supervision and all of the documents or forms that you're turning in for your licensing, for your testing, for your hours. You want to be familiar with the regulations of the social work industry in your state. Definitely be familiar of the code of ethics relating to social work. I know here in California, we have a whole test that's called law and ethics. So it's a whole test on the ethics of social work and the laws in California. So it really is a good idea. Additionally, the the general clinical licensing exam will have ethics questions in there. So it is important to be aware and familiar with those. Be aware of any kind of due dates or deadlines that might affect your ability to take the clinical test or to complete your supervision hours. You want to try your best to stay informed about changes to laws in your state um, and also to take control of your own learning experience. If there are areas that you struggle with or that you need more support around, definitely ask for help. Sorry, I had to get a drink of water. 
your supervisor is not a mind reader and they may need you to clarify or to speak up to say, hey, I'm really not understanding this sort of concept. Can we talk about this in clinical supervision? Always show up to clinical supervision with topics that you want to discuss. So what I did when I was going through this process is in my planner, yes, I had a paper planner and I love it. I still have a paper planner. Don't judge me. But in my planner on the days of my supervision, so say every Thursday I would have supervision, right? As the week progressed and I worked, I would take notes and put it in the Thursday, right? The next coming up Thursday, I'd say, oh, I want to talk to my supervisor about this. So when Thursday came around, I would have a list of topics in my agenda that came up during the week and that I could easily reference back to. So whatever works for you, if you have a planner, I know there's supervision planners out there, but it might help to just keep a running list of the topics or clients that come up during during your week that you want to bring up during supervision so that you can be sure to maximize the time that you have with your supervisor. Additionally, some other ideas for you is you can look up trainings that you might want to do. Maybe they can reimburse you for that, for the cost of those. For example, the course that I have, the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist, I have heard of employers reimbursing people for the cost of that course, which is 197 right? But it is a employment-related training that they very, mal- they very well may reimburse you for, so it doesn't hurt to ask. So that is not an all-encompassing list, but it's a list to get you started, right? A list to kind of get you thinking about what is it that you are responsible for. <clears throat> and then last After you have completed however many hours that you need of clinical supervision, you have your paperwork done, you've submitted it, now it comes time to pass the exam. And this is referring to the the clinical exam through the ASWB right now. So while this may change in the future, right now, there is still a national exam that you need to take. Some people pass this on their first try. Some people really struggle with it and it takes a long time. There are a lot of resources out there for support around the clinical exam. Uh, One, the one that I used was the Therapist Development Center or TDC. They are the sponsor of this podcast because I use their services personally and I was able to pass the test. Additionally, there's other study groups that that are free. Some are paid. Most are paid. I know Shara, Shara Ruffin, she has a clubhouse room that every Monday afternoon, evening, they have a study group and they talk about questions and you can ask questions there. She's a coach. There's also agents of change who give us tips in the Friday resource email list and they have a curriculum and coaching as well. So there is help out there. And I do recommend doing something uh, outside of just kind of reading law and ethics and trying to study on your own. It does help to have a community or someone else that's there with you while you're studying to help really cement those concepts for you to help jog your memory and also 
to make sure that you have a strategy for answering the questions because the trust questions can be really tricky as well. So once you pass the exam and you have paid all those fees, then you're ready to submit your official application for licensure in your state. And yay, now you are an LCSW. So this is really a big process and a huge commitment. So just to kind of recap, know why you want to do this. Know that it's going to be worth it. Know why, right? Always keep that front and center in mind. You're going to need your master's degree. You're going to need to complete your clinical supervision hours. We talked about some of the responsibilities that you and your supervisor have. And then also too, after you complete your supervision hours, you're going to then take the licensing test. This is going to, this whole process is going to be different for each state. So make sure that you're checking with your state's website around the specific qualifications and needs that you have for your area. So I hope this is helpful. If this was helpful and it helped to clear up some questions for you, please just text this episode to a friend. You can share it with your professor. I've had professors share podcast episodes in class. So there is no limit to how you can use this information. We are not about gatekeeping around here. So please, please, please share this information with a colleague, with a friend. If you are not on the Friday resource email list, I highly encourage you to just go there. The link is in the show notes to get connected. I send out resources on Fridays that are helpful for you as a clinical social worker, especially as a new clinical social worker getting used to the field. Lastly, if you are looking for more support around your clinical skills, I highly recommend the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist course. This is a course that I designed and developed with my colleague, and we talk about the foundational skills that you need to have as a social worker. And these are applicable to all, okay, most clinical settings. I always like to be accurate, right? To most clinical settings that you're working one-on-one directly with clients. That includes, you know, community mental health, APS, CPS, medical social work, school social work. All of these areas require you to have the foundational skills of doing an assessment, a biopsychosocial assessment. You need to be able to document what you're doing, how the client presented, uh, the interventions that you're doing. I give you a lot of cheat sheets in this course because that's what helped me really be able to speed up my documentation process and to help them sound much more professional so that if they if someone else did need to read them, right? Like if I needed to show them to a doctor or a parent or a colleague, I'm not embarrassed because I don't know what the heck I'm doing, <clears throat> right? It's so important to be able to convey your interventions in a professional manner. Additionally, we cover how to use cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT with clients in real world settings. How to use other therapy tools like the genogram and tapping. Also to how to do safety planning with a client who might be high risk for suicide and also how to have a successful termination because that is ultimately what we want. We don't want the client relying on us forever. We want them to be self-sufficient and able to feel empowered to 
have these skills and to continue on in their life, hopefully without us, right? So with that, I thank you so, so much for being here and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials, for the future therapist, and the Pulse Basics for medical social workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.